All right, as you know, we have been studying the third day, uh, and it all comes out of understanding what went on on the road to Emmaus. Uh, in Luke, when Jesus, after on the third day, is risen from the dead, meets two disciples walking for about five or six hours on the road to Emmaus. He does not reveal who he is. The disciples are brokenhearted uh, because they think all is lost, and Jesus goes back through the scriptures and demonstrates everything in the scriptures. Uh, that would be the Old Testament as we understand it today. Everything about him, about who he was, about who he was to be. Uh, and I'm convinced a very significant amount of what Jesus taught that day was on the third day. And how the third day had been written uh, by the hand of God thousands of years before. How God would show to this world that something incredible would take place, the likes of which the world would never see before or, or again on the third day. And so that's what I have been endeavoring to do uh, to you, to try to open the scriptures to you, to show you all these sections in which typologically God is demonstrating what he's going to do on the third day. Um, and we're going to continue that today. And we're going to start with the story of Esther. The story of Esther. And you're going to find where we are in Esther chapter 3. We'll begin with that. But uh, the story of Esther is a fascinating story. It's the story of a Jewish woman uh, who is effectively in Persia. The Persians have conquered Babylon. Uh, and now we're somewhere in the area of about 425 B.C. And this woman now, many of the Jews that had been taken uh, from uh, Israel, from Judea, that had been taken by the Babylonian conquering of Israel and brought into Babylon, have never gone back. They had the chance to go back uh, when Cyrus allowed them to go back to rebuild the uh, walls in Jerusalem and then rebuild the temple. And, and many of them did not go back. Esther was one of those that remained. Her family remained. It is now about 150 years from the time that the Jewish people would have been taken into captivity. So they're fully ingrained in the culture. And this story is about uh, Esther and her uncle Mordecai, um, who she lived with. Um, and in this story... You're going to read about the uh, king, the emperor of Persia, who will become unhappy with his wife. That's how this story begins. He becomes unhappy with his wife. He had summoned his wife to come uh, to the palace to be before him, and she decided she did not want to come. And we don't really know the reason, but because of that, his advisors spoke to him and said, you can't can't stay with this woman. This is a horrible thing. What, what kind of impression is this going to give to the rest of the people in the kingdom that your wife does not listen to you, and so you need to pick a new queen? And so effectively becomes this process. It's been called in other theological uh, episodes a beauty contest, but whatever. Uh, Esther winds up winning the prize. Now, she does not reveal that she's Jewish. But she winds up uh, winning the prize, and in fact, uh, she's an extraordinarily beautiful woman. And so now what happens is that one of the king's prime ministers, 
this evil man named Haman has decided that he would like to find a way to destroy the Jewish people. The Jewish people are a particular annoyance to him. Uh, they sit there and they're not fully incorporated into the culture. And so Haman decides that he wants to eliminate the Jews from Persia. Now, if you would turn to chapter 3 of Esther, beginning at verse 8, we will read, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Notice how Satan always gets in. Always gets in and, and, and will find a way to persecute the Jewish people. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took a signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamaditha, the Agai, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out the script of each province and in the language of each people, all of Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the orders to, underline it, destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. Spurred on by the king's command, the courtiers went out and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Well, you see what's going on here. Uh, that Satan has entered into the palace uh, through Haman and now has found a way to destroy the Jewish people. Wipe them out. Wipe them off the face of the earth. There they are, taken in captivity and now they will be wiped out. Now you're going to see the hand of God in an extraordinary way. And this will become a preview of the gospel story. Uh, and you may not have heard this typologically being used before, but this is a strong preview of what will take place when, on the third day when Jesus will rise from the grave and how salvation will be offered again to the people of this world. Now, Esther determined to intercede on behalf of her people. But that was not a decision that came truly voluntarily with her. At first she determined that she could not intercede because her uncle Mordecai had spoken to her about it. Uh, and she was afraid that uh, she would be killed herself. First of all, there was a rule in the kingdom at that time that the only way you could come in to see the king was if the king invited you to come in. If you did not have an invitation to come into the king's presence and you merely went in 
if he didn't extend uh, his signet to you, you'd be killed. It's plain and simple. You had no right to go in unless he asked you to come in. And unless he extended that act uh, of royal forgiveness effectively, you would be killed when he would remit his scepter. And so this was a well-known edict that no one would, would dare uh, to approach. And so here she is. Here she is, effectively in a conundrum. Her people are going to be wiped out. Yes, she's a Jewish woman. Yes, God has put her in a place that's unbelievable, that she's in a place like this. But she's afraid to act. And now her uncle, Mordecai, uh, has a discussion with her. Uh, about what her role is. And if you look at chapter 4, Mr. chapter 4, uh, and look at verse 12, because the verse before this, Esther says, nobody can go in unless he asks them to come in. They're going to be killed. I can't go in there. And so now in verse 12, here's what Mordecai says to her. When Esther's words were responded to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to, royal, to a royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Underline that. There's a message that resonates today to you and me based on that sentence. God has placed each and every one of us in unique positions in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our network of connections to people. He has placed you there. He has put you in a position where you have a unique chance to impact other people. And here's the thing. God expects us to impact people for the kingdom. He expects that. That's what he wants us to do. He puts you there. He raises you up. He gives you talents. He gives you the chance to do things for him. And now the question is, are you doing those kind of things on behalf of him? He who placed you there for a time such as this. And Mordecai gives a warning to Esther that resonates with me today. Because if you do not do what God asks you to do, God will call somebody else. Someone else will be called to fill that position. Uh, I can give you a personal testimony for myself going back about six years. When uh, I was up in New Jersey for a wedding and I had this class, this was the only class that I had, I did not have the 11 o'clock class. Uh, and I received a call from the church and the church asked me, uh, uh, because they had uh, replaced the pastor who was doing the 11 o'clock class. They asked me if I would uh, immediately take over the 11 o'clock class. Uh, and I said to my wife, oh, I said, the, the church has asked me to take over the 11 o'clock class. I said to the, the church, I said, well, what do I do with the 8 o'clock class? And they, the church said, no, I merged the 8 o'clock into the 11. I said, I can't do that. I can't do that. These people have, have come... God has touched their hearts. They've adjusted their schedules. They have a lifestyle. They have come. I will not do that. I will not do that. I have to pray whether, whether I can do two classes. And Linda said to me, are you nuts? 
You can ask her. Are you nuts? She says, you're going to do two classes? That means you're going to be speaking longer on Sunday than Hayes Wicker. <laughs> and then she said, you're going to do Monday too? You can't do this. And I prayed about it. And I prayed about it. And, and uh, these words from Esther came back to me. The point being, if you don't step up, if you don't step up, God will put somebody else in that position. Put somebody else in the position, and the blessings that would flow to you are not going to flow to you. And then I, when I went to the 11 o'clock class, and I walked in that first day, and that, you know there was some residual unhappiness, as you can imagine, in that class, that they had seen their teacher be removed. And I walked in, and I said to them, you people are the people of God. God loves you. He cares for you. Uh, and he brings a teacher to you. And I want you to know something. Uh, God will always appoint somebody here to bless you. When Moses died, Joshua came in. When David died, Solomon came in. When Elijah died, Elisha came up. In other words, God doesn't allow gaps. You're called to do something. If you don't do it, God brings somebody in else. Don't think the work of God is going to collapse. All right, let's get that through our heads. Oh, God, I know if I, if thank God I'm doing this, because if I don't do it, the whole thing is going to come down and it'll all come to an end. Never, never, it will not. But you will not get the blessing. You will not get the blessing. This is an important thing to understand. So here she is. She's just been told by her uncle, you're there because he put you there for this time to save your people. Uh, and so... Now, uh, you're going to see the essence of the third day uh, coming to fruition. And you can see this uh, right there in that same verse uh, 15, chapter 4, verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Please underline Three days. I and my maids will face fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. There it is. Three days. Fast for me. And on the third day, I will go. Effectively, facing life and death. Facing the life and death of the Jewish people. On the third day, I will go and intercede before the king. And so, that's exactly what happens. And so she walks in before the king, uh, and she received mercy from the king as she walked in. As she walked in, he extended his staff and, and allowed her, effectively, to stand there and to tell him what the issue was. And effectively, what she does is, because of what she stands for, she is standing now, effectively, in the line of Jesus Christ, on the third day, she is now going to bring salvation to the Jewish people. Take a look at Esther chapter 8, verse 9. So now she tells the king all these things that are going to happen. She tells them that, he, that what he's doing is going to wipe out the people, that they were innocent, that they didn't deserve this. Uh, and now all of this is going to take place on the third day. And by the way, the Jewish people still celebrate this event today. It's called Purim. Purim. That's a very important holiday 
to the Jews. So if you hear the Jews speak about Purim, this is what they're talking about. So look at Esther chapter 8, beginning of verse 9. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sylvan. They wrote out all of Mordecai's orders to the Jew. And by the way, Mordecai was the one who filled the king in on, on additional details and allowed the king to see exactly what was taking place. And to the satraps, governors and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. Can you imagine? It's a complete reversal of what took place a few verses before. As God has intervened on the third day, saving the Jewish people from death and destruction. And look what takes place. The king's edict granted the Jews, verse 11, in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every uh, nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves and protect themselves uh, against their enemies. What an incredible passage this is. To go from destruction, to be wiped out, and then because of the fasting of three days and on the third day to walk in, on the third day to walk in, and all of this miraculous change taking place because God intervenes on the third day. Uh, and scripture tells us that the people of God had unbelievable happiness. Look in that same chapter, 8, verse 17. In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness, gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Let's understand what you're seeing there. This became a moment of evangelization for Judaism. The third day, on that day, because of what took place, because of the edicts, now you're seeing peoples from other nationalities, effectively Gentiles, now coming and becoming Jews, accepting Yahweh as their God. Um, and so this again becomes an incredible foretelling typology of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and and, and uh, I say in point five of my outline there, in the fullness of time, Jesus would also be raised from the dead in three days time. He would save the people and be exalted to the right hand of God. Thereafter, the apostles would send, this is important, the apostles would send letters of liberty through the Great Commission into all the nations of the earth, and many people would be brought to salvation even though they were strangers to the original covenant of promise. In other words, typologically, about 700, 600 years later, Jesus would come 
Jesus would be raised from the dead on the third day, just as Esther demonstrated typologically 500 years, 600 years before, and Jesus would give the Great Commission, and just like the letters of liberty were issued to the Jews and the world at that point, and people of all nationalities would come to Judaism because of what took place on the third day, Jesus, through the Great Commission and the apostles sending out others uh, to, for the Great Commission, would likewise bring a lost world to salvation. All on the third day. All because of the third day. Now, can you imagine? People would say, again, we you hear people criticize us and say, oh, you religious fanatics. You believe the Bible. It's a bunch of old stories. Here you have another example of some, a story written through the hand of God. These Bible stories are written through the hand of God. It doesn't matter that it comes in a man's voice. It's God speaking through a human messenger. And how do you know that? You know that because you see time after time after time God demonstrating the accuracy of what he's going to talk about. The ability prophetically to show you ahead of time what's going to happen the third day. You think it's an accident? The third day? You just think, oh, God said, well, the third day's a good day. And make it the fourth day. I mean, really. There's an incredible hand of God here. And I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19. And this is now Paul speaking, right, to the Gentiles, the church at Ephesus. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief Cornerstone In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Before you were an alien, you weren't part of the people of God. You weren't circumcised with the Jewish people. You were not part of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But just like you saw in Esther, where because of the king's edict in the third day, there would be numerous non-Jews who would be joined to the people of God typologically on the third day. And Jesus is demonstrating that the real third day, the essence of the third day, when the power of God would come in this world in a way it would never see again, death defeated, death defeated by Jesus on the cross on the third day. Here's the implications of what would happen. That a lost world would now be joined. They would no longer be aliens. They would join and become one with the people of God on the third day. Now the other story I wanted to bring to your attention about the third day. If you turn your outline over, you'll see it. It's about Daniel being delivered from the lion's den. And again, I'm sure many of you have not heard this typologically being referenced before. You all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You heard it from the time you were a child. But I'm going to give a little different twist to it for you. Now, Daniel, the story of Daniel will take place about 100 years before Esther. 
Um, and it's going to be somewhere around 530 B.C. Daniel would have been taken into captivity when Babylon came into Judea, took all of the Jews out of, out of uh, Judea, the most talented ones for sure, brought them into Babylon. Daniel was one of the most intelligent people in the kingdom. Uh, and the uh, section we're going to read from is Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel is an extraordinarily talented man. He's also a prophet. He's going to give many prophecies. One of the prophecies that he will give will speak about the Son of Man. And that is the first time that Jesus, the, the title of Jesus Christ is used, Son of Man. Jesus would use that title about himself far more than he would use any other title, the Son of Man. He, very, he hardly ever called himself the Messiah. I believe he only referred to himself as the Messiah maybe once or twice, once with the with Samaritan woman. But over and over again, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And that's Daniel's prophecy. Uh, and you realize how much before Jesus, uh, God is using Daniel to write this. And Daniel will actually write about the last days. Uh, and someday we'll study the entire book of Daniel and talk about that. Uh, but here he is now. He has risen to authority in the Babylonian kingdom. He is one of three leaders who rule the entire province. Uh, one of three presidents under Cyrus, the king. And you know that uh, Daniel will have such influence with Cyrus that he will convince Cyrus to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild uh, Jerusalem and the temple. That's Daniel doing that with his influence under Cyrus. In fact, Daniel was so well thought of by Cyrus the Persian that Cyrus considered making Daniel the top one and only ruler over Babylon. Can you imagine? Here's an example of God elevating his people, bringing his people up. Here's a guy, a foreigner in that land, a Jew, and yet God poured his talents and his gifts and raises him. And so there he is. And so, of course, uh, whenever this happens, the world is jealousy. And let me say something to you. When God blesses you and uses you and allows you to impact the kingdom, there are going to be people who are going to be jealous. It's going to happen. Satan does that. Uh, and this jealousy, in many ways, people will look to destroy you, look to do very hurtful things to you. And you just have to ask God to protect you, to stay in his walk, to be in his way. Uh, and as long as you do that, God will turn even evil to good. We saw that through Joseph. And so here these officials who I am convinced for years, for years, purposed in their heart to look for some defect in Daniel's character that they could bring to the king so that they could indict him and get him out. They saw nothing. But what they did is they effectively convinced the king to uh, put a law through that forbade anyone to pray to anyone but Darius, to worship anyone for di but Darius for 30 days. Can you imagine getting a law like that? Look, if you would, to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy 
and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. How do you like that? So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, so and so, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree, put it in writing, so that it cannot be altered, underline that, please, cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. How do you like that? So here's the provision. Pass a law, King Darius, that effectively blasphemes the God of the universe. Pass a law that says anybody who worships anything but you for the next 30 days must be put to death and write the law in such a way so that it cannot be altered or changed in any way by anyone, including you. And so he did. And so he did. Uh, it's an amazing story. And so Daniel was faithful to God. And here's a point of this lesson as well. Fidelity and faithfulness to God no matter what happens. Day in, day out. Irrespective of the facts of this life. Irrespective of contingencies. Irrespective of elections. Irrespective of what comes down the pike. You continue to stay faithful to God. And so he knew the law, he knew what was happening, and yet he would not change. And so you see this, that he prayed continuously three times a day to his God. And so if you look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That's what I want to see you do. That's what I want to see me do. That's how I want to see God act. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter about the evil things that come before you. You're seeing the cross of Jesus Christ. You're called to serve God. And you will continue to be faithful to him day after day after day. And so here he is knowing the death decree, knowing that no one can take him out of that death, knowing that this was a setup and that his enemies are looking there. What does he do? He opens the window just like he did every day before. And now he prays to God three times a day. And so now typologically, I want you to understand you have to count the days. The first day that he does this, the first day he does this after the decree is effectively uh, the first day. And, and as you understand that, that, when he did that, he had effectively had signed his death warrant. Let's be careful to understand this. Even though he wasn't dead on that first day, it was as if he looked into an open grave. He knew what was going to happen. He understood it. And so the first day is, the first, just like Jesus being buried, 
in the tomb, day one. And so you're going to see this. And then his enemies are going to rise up and bring this to the attention of the king. And, and they will bring it to the king. And when they do this, uh, when the king has been brought and had this brought to his attention, uh, he was incredibly destroyed about what he had done. Now, if you look at this, look at verse 12. This is the enemies. These are the enemies. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you would be thrown into the lion's den? Notice how, how Satan insinuates himself. There. Didn't, you, didn't you do this? You wrote it. You wrote it. Didn't you do this? Because they knew that Darius favored Daniel. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Understand this. He understood he'd been trapped. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go through. He didn't want to kill Daniel. He knew he was a favored man. He cared about Daniel, but he was stuck. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. That's the second day. He made every effort to save him until sundown. You can just imagine what's going on. The pressure being put there to save him on the second day without, without avail. When the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, verse 15, uh, the king's issue cannot be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. How do you like that? Out of the mouths of pagans yes. comes an understanding that there's something special that God is doing to you, for you. I want you to recognize this. That a lost world sees you. A lost world looks at your conduct. A lost world looks to see how you act. They judge you how you act. They look to see the influence that you have. You don't even realize it. Many times you don't realize it, but your neighbors, your co-workers know there's something about you that the favor of God is on them. And so here's the king. May your God, whom you serve continually, rise up and protect you. And so you see this. And so... Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Um, and, and now what you see is that Darius then spends the night of the second day, the entire night, fasting, fasting for Daniel. Can you imagine? A king, a pagan king, fasting effectively in prayer so that Daniel will be safe. Very early on the morning of the third day. Listen to what I'm saying. Very early on the morning of the third day, the king came in haste to the pit that was sealed with a stone. Whereupon Daniel greeted the king and reported that God had sent his angel to deliver him from death because he was innocent before the king. Look at chapter 6, verse 22. Actually, verse 21. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. 
They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. On the third day, delivered from death. I told you that effectively on the first day, he was dead. On the first day, he was dead. And yet, God raised him effectively from the pit of the lions, which winds up being the typological preview of the tomb that Jesus would be in on the third day. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. That's unfortunate. But, you know, when you, when you see what happens in those days, you know... I mean, these people didn't fool around. You know, when you violated in some way the law, everybody got wiped out. All right? Nobody was left behind. And before they reached the floor of the den, listen to this. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Crushed their bones. Now, what do we know? We know that Jesus is going to be raised from the tomb on the third day, and not one of his bones would be broken, just like Daniel. Do you see how God typologically paints a picture for you of what's going to happen? So that when you go back, if you were Jewish and you saw Jesus and you knew that he got raised from the grave on the third day and you saw that he walked around and you heard that just like the Passover feast, the lamb was not broken, none of the bones were broken, and you hearkened back to what God had done in history for, for Daniel, how he came out of that pit of the death after the third day without any broken bones. And you would see Jesus Christ, God himself, reliving the entire typological episode. How could you not accept this as God's edict? This is God himself walking with us all on the third day. And so I want you to recognize something. Here's Daniel, an 80-year-old man. I think we have a few of those in here. Okay? I think we got a few people in here that are 80. I want you to think of something. You know how you say, oh, don't, my back hurts. My feet hurt. I don't have any energy anymore. Really, I'm just sliding home. I'm just sliding around. I want to tell you something. God used an 80-year-old man to paint a picture of what would happen with Jesus Christ Amen. in 500 years. Amen. And he's going to do the same with you if you submit yourself to God. If you don't say, I can't. Because here's what you're saying when you say, I can't, as a Christian. You're saying, I won't. That's what I can't means as a Christian. I can't as a Christian means I won't. It's just like when God called me to take that 11 o'clock class. I could have said I can't, but I recognized I would be outside the will of God. I'd be outside the will of God. And here's the thing. Don't think of all of the reasons why, oh, I'm too old. It's too hard. My voice can't take it. I can't speak that long. I'm not gifted enough to do this. God doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear your excuses. Instead, God wants you to have the kind of heart that says, Lord, I am willing. If you call me, even in my weakened condition, even at this age, 
even as I recognize that I have all these infirmities, yet if you want me at 80, just like you call Moses at 80, I will submit myself to you. And he will give you the strength. He will raise you up. And who knows, typologically, what you will do for the kingdom of God, just as you see this incredible story of Daniel. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the lessons that you've given us. Lord, let these words resonate in our heart. Help us to understand how great you are, how you painted this picture of Jesus hundreds of years before in the stories of Esther and Daniel. And now, Lord, protect our people this week. Bring them back safely. Bless the service to follow as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, God bless you.